feeling good that you never question why things are going so well. You want to know why? Hello, everybody. Welcome back. We are the Devils in the Details, the Exorcist TV show fan podcast, where we rewatch and discuss The Exorcist one episode at a time. Today, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 7's Father of Lies. In this particular episode, we see a little bit more struggle happening between uh, Marcus and Tomas, but really the main focus is getting Casey the exorcism. She actually gets into the church, um, and we see some of the bigger kind of scary exorcism scenes of the entire season so far. So my name is Tina. And this is Zoe. And I'm Gaia. And we're glad you're here. So ladies, how are we doing today uh, with our with our father of lies nearing the finale uh, episode? Goodness, it's like, well, basically my, my first thought about this whole episode was the return of Marcus's arms. So that, that was my first initial thought. I was like, very much. Yeah, most of my time, as per usual, I spent concentrating on how beautiful Marcus was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw a lot of the arms. I was also appreciative of of the arms and the lifting. There was like a lifting scene of, of Casey that came in the very beginning of the episode that I was like, okay, yeah, I'm into this. Keep lifting more things. There's a heavy rock. Go lift the heavy yeah. rock. <laughs> <laughs> I feel left out. I wasn't focused on his arms. Now I am ashamed of myself. I was more focused on Bennett. Oh, Bennett. Yeah, Bennett's a great seize. He kind of went badass. What did you like about Bennett? Oh, I love that he finally showed he's not a glorified translator, but he's a fighter. So now it makes sense why he's into the Pope's security and why he was so pissed off at the way they organized this visit. So I was like, oh, yes, finally, you are showing who you are. Good for you, boy. Good for you. <laughs> I did like his his like big scene in the, it's not the interrogation room. It was more like the planning room with all the other bigwigs. You had the, the head of the police. You had Brother Simon. You had Bishop Egan. You had Maria all together. And Bennett is just like, what? where are these plans? Why don't you have more people stationed here? And what's happening here? And <laughs> he's so like in fiery, typical, like super awesome Bennett mode that <laughs> I was just like, you go Bennett. He is. He's amazing. <laughs> and he, and the whole like the the money that's being funneled through the already debunked defunct what is it the landscaping company that he's like can you explain oh, this yeah. to me? And then doesn't Bishop Egan basically say the equivalent of we'll we'll get back to you on that or maybe it was brother Simon that said. No, it's brother Simon. He's like, "We'll take a look into it. Don't worry your pretty little yeah. head about this." I was like, "Oh, jerk." Yeah. <laughs> and and he's a badass. Come on, he can fight. He really can fight. Finally, we saw a man, a man of God, who is able to fight. And come on, he was also great aesthetic. He was yeah. good. Come on, in that boiling room, it was fucking amazing. 
Yes. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I know. I'm kind of like jumping around everywhere, but I was like, I feel like this is so much like Marcus's moment. I just want to like keep thinking of, not Marcus, but Bennett. <laughs> Freudian slip. I can't stop thinking about Marcus. But no, this is really like Bennett has so many cool moments when he's like fighting off everybody. It's just like, it feels like a movie I'm watching. And they, they put a lot of time into how he is even like fighting off some of those baddies. So all for it. I'm all for Bennett. Um, so we're kind of going everywhere right now. Do we want to? <laughs> I thought we do our thing. Okay. I'm way too, I'm way too excited. Um, too much coffee. I had the list. I had some points already checked out. And then you had me talking about Bennett. So I blame you, Tim. So <laughs> okay, it's all my, my fault. Way. I will take that. I own it. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. So... How about we talk about the opening sequence? Because I was going insane <laughs> when I first saw this. To remind everybody listening, they have it's it's two scenes that they overlap again, which they've done in the past a few times before. Where you have the quiet, um, it's it's uh, Father Tomas uh, in church, and he's processing. He's 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 doing a very calm homily, um, and then interspersed are scenes where he and Marcus have Casey sh shoulder to shoulder and they're dragging her into Mother Bernadette's a convent to take care of her. So they keep going back and forth, back and forth in this opening sequence. It's this cool dynamic. There's high energy and then it goes back to quiet and low and uh, very reverent. So I just, I have a lot on this in my brain and would love to hear your thoughts. It's it's a good opening. It's a, there's a lot of fake outs because when you first see it, you think they're at, possibly at Casey's funeral. So you're thinking like, oh, because there's the board up, and I'm like, did did, did she die? Did they not save her? And then they obviously flick, and then you're like, oh no, maybe this is a dream. Maybe he's like dreaming that there's a funeral, and he's gonna wake up, and there's gonna be a shocking reveal. And then it's like, oh no, it's not that either. And then you realise it's literally like just doing a please keep an eye out on this girl we're still doing a drive to try and find her and it's just, and it's simpler but the reason he's getting more and more worked out and he's looking more worried is because he's having to lie to his congregation and he's like that's clearly not sitting well with him yeah uh the only reason why i knew it wasn't a funeral is because of the color of his uh, of his clothes if it was a funeral, a funeral, uh, the the clothes would have been purple. So I knew this wasn't the case. And then uh, the prayers they are uh, saying, uh, admitting that they all seen uh, with uh, their actions and with their lies, uh, it's beautifully uh, balanced by the flowers on the altar. Those are lilies. And the lilies are uh, the, fl the flowers dedicated to the Virgin Mary. So uh, for the Catholic people and for the ancient church of the Middle Age, I'm sorry, I always go back to the Middle Age, but it's the beginning of the... No, it's, of it's the helpful. Of so in the Middle Age uh, was born this, uh, um, this belief that if you want to talk to God, you have to use the Virgin Mary as the one who is uh, talking to God for you. So you go, first you go to the Virgin Mary and the Virgin Mary, if she thinks you are worth God's attention, she will tell God about your prayers. 
So it's beautiful that those flowers are really the flowers that are dedicated to her. She is there. Wow. She is there because Thomas needs her, her interception to God. And uh, I think is and this episode is all about lies and it's all about the never ending Catholic struggling with lies and guilt. Come on, Tina, you know it is. <laughs> we, we are so deep. <laughs> we are so deep into our guilt that poor Thomas <laughs> is not even trying to swim in his guilt. He's right. drawing. He's literally drawing <laughs> and he's like a kicked pup who is like, no, why, why? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know why. I'm Catholic. I need this guilt. It's, <laughs> it, it will make me answer. stronger. Yes, it will make me stronger. <laughs> I need all this guilt and all this pain. Please, God, give me more. Awesome. And then, oh, oh, we, we have to also talk about Marcus's amazing, like, in this very opening sequence when he's, like, yelling at Tomas to just keep lying. He's at the doorway. And you remember he goes, uh, yeah, God is in me. Lie. And then like slaps the door in his face. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, poor Marcus is a bit very aggro at the beginning of this. He's very hot and intense. And it's just like, oh, oh, you are. Yeah, you are not relaxed at all, are you, mister? Nope. <laughs> because he's not really thinking about Tomas's feelings at this point. Because Tomas is like, oh gosh, I feel so bad and I'm torn because I'm lying to these people. And Marcus is like, I don't have time for this, slam. I've got this yeah. girl who's about yeah. to die. Yeah. Where, what else do we have? Anything else? Because it's a pretty big, it's a pretty big scene. It is like, it's, it's when you realize that Marcus admits that he knows that this is a 40 year old grudge, that it's not a normal demonic possession. So he brings up the fact that he's sussed out what's going on, how it's related to the past. And he's like, we're in a grudge match here. This is not just your run-of-the-mill possession. This is, this is something bigger and more obsessive. And that's why it's targeting so much. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's figured out. And that's why he's so scared. I, I love that they, you can tell there's a very palpable fear in him because like, what does he say later in the episode? All we do is put the bait down. Sometimes you get a tiny little minnow. Other times you get this huge bloody shark. And you can, yeah. and the shark is not just the fact that Pazuzu is this very high level scary demon, but the fact that he's not only high level, but he's like out for revenge. Like that is, oh my gosh, a recipe for everything is going to explode. So you can, you can tell, yeah, the stakes are really high. And, uh, and that's where the shoutiness gets shoutier. So, <laughs> yes, yeah. I was just thinking, it's like, if Tomas is like sad puppy this episode, I think Marcus is angry cat. I'm just like, just do it, rah! Like, and Tomas is like, oh. Well, I think that leads perfectly into the next scene because you can see that what Marcus is struggling with. Because what it, what he's running out of time is he also knows that Mother Bernadette and her uh, nuns are very open to the idea of killing the host with the belladonna and so it transitions right into that scene where you hear mother bernadette saying you know wh when can we do this what well, we we need to she's lost and she's the voice of reason here 
And and Marcus sounds like the crazy person for continuously trying to save Casey. Um, but in Mother Bernadette's eyes, it's a lost cause. So he's got that pressure on him too, knowing that like Mother Bernadette is willing to just chuck some belladonna in Casey's mouth. And that's like his worst case scenario is losing her again because it relives that trauma of the loss that he had with um uh the the boy in in mexico yeah marcus really feels like he's been called and and that he's he's really thinks that this is god's calling he's working through him he's this is his like destiny his fate to help this girl and to be told that the mercy is to kill her when he's so like strongly believing that he's going to help her and you know show his mercy and save her and he yeah. just he won't let go and, it's yeah. too much to let and go and mother of. bernadette throws a curveball to him because uh, in in her very gentle way she she asks him and uh, if when the, the possession is complete are we really going to unleash this demon into the world so if we don't kill the host, are you really sure you want to carry the blame of unleashing this kind of menace into the world? And that's that's really unfair. But she has a point. I I get her point though. She, she if 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 the the integration happens, you know, they're they they they're gonna allow Pazuzu to walk around in Casey's skin and do either even more yeah, evil things. Yeah. Uh, because he looks so sweet and innocent. He's going to be able to infiltrate more humans. And she has a really good point. I see her yeah. side too. Yeah, but it's not fair. Not fair because Marcus is there alone. He's trying to save Casey, not only with the exorcism, but also as a man who wants to save a little girl. And he's faced yeah. with this very logical woman and who has a very logical point. It's not like Bernadette is saying something untrue. She's claiming the truth. If the integration happens, they are going to let a demon of that power free. What is, uh, got to appeal to the, the Star Trek family right now. The, uh, what is the famous quote that the Vulcans use a lot? Uh, the, um, uh, oh gosh, help me out, Zoe. Oh, okay. Greater good. Um, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, or the one. Yeah, you go. I knew you would know it. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the of the few, or the one, yeah. and uh, that's Wrath where she's Khan. coming from. But oh, <laughs> is it Wrath of Khan? Yeah, yeah. God, Chucky in the house. Uh, oh, but that's that. It's such a common, but it's such a common story. Like in these fantasy stories, in these horror stories, you see this constant you know, conflict of who is worth saving. And the hero constantly, constantly is looking out for that one person yeah. <laughs> because that's, that's who you feel for. That's who you feel most connected to as an audience. I feel for Casey. I want Casey to beat this and I want the heroes to save her bully, whatever else yeah, exactly. <laughs> happens to everybody else. Screw the rest of the world. The people you love and care about come first. Right. Well, what's the point of living in the world exactly. if the people you love and connect to aren't part of it? And it that's, that's, that is an excellent point. Absolutely. What is the point of, of living in this world if we don't have each other and the people that we love? Um, looking at you, Sam and Dean, who have consistently in Supernatural been looking <laughs> out for each other more than the rest of humanity sometimes. 
<laughs> no, but they also look for. Okay, I'm like jumping way too many fandoms right now. Um, <laughs> focus, focus, focus. No, but come on, they always do that. They're always like sacrificing each other or themselves for each other. <laughs> Okay. No. Okay. Well, no, but um, the later series they have started going like we're going to stop this. I'm just going to care about you. We're going to stop sacrificing each other. They made a pact, and Sam said, "Promise me you're not going to sacrifice." Although I think he then went on and did sacrifice himself again. But eh, it's supernatural. <laughs> they do. <laughs> but that's what heroes do. That's what I love about these characters. I think that's why I fall in love with the same kinds. They're different stories, but they're always at the heart. These very similar heroes that look out for their their love their and and who marcus loves is casey and who he loves is tomas and and you know you see and vice versa they 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 feel for each other and and it's it's such a great story yeah um we can we can go and talk about another very uh important moment between uh, um tomas and marcus when they speak and Tomas asks him what happened at the lake and he Marcus tells him the truth. Aww. We see Marcus. We see Marcus opening to Tomas, but Tomas doesn't have the reaction we would expect. Because until the last episode, we would expect him to actually be happy about Marcus finally showing more of himself. But in this moment, he is so caught and lost in his own thoughts, in his own problems, that when Marcus claims that now Casey is his word because he finally felt God again, Tomas' reaction was almost mockering. But Tomas, Tomas is still too young, still too naive. And he doesn't want to accept that God saved Casey and Pazuzu. He would have liked for God to to have saved Casey, maybe like snapping his fingers and just getting rid of Pazuzu. But that's not how God works. Guy, what you're saying to me, I had forgotten this scene, but we need to talk about it. You're talking about the where Tomas is kind of um, healing himself with the cactus juice yeah. because he just got bitten, yeah, just bitten. and 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 Marcus. I remember that that scene also struck me as a little out of character for him because it did seem kind of like he was mocking Marcus, like you felt God dot 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 in your hands, and Marcus looks at him and goes, "Well." Could have been hypothermia, right? <laughs> so it's a little, he's, he's still humorous about it. But it's so true also, but it is in character because just like you said, he uh, does have that doubting side of him, that not understand, that naive, not understanding how God works. Not to say that Marcus understands how God works, but at least Marcus is aware that he is never going to be one to even try to understand what God's will is. He will empty himself up for him and say, this is what, whatever you want your will to be, God, I'll do it. You know, this is, you, you know, you want me to lay my hands on somebody and then everything explodes and fish die around me. Sure. Cool. Why not? But Thomas is so young still in his experience that he still has that cynical side to him going, no, like this is, this can't be real. He's, he's just, he, he's still very lost himself. That's, um, 
I just wanted to talk about that. That was very much like Thomas to say that too. So I also I also read it from Thomas, like a, an air of like maybe jealousy from him. Like at this point, Thomas had started losing his way, his fate. He didn't know if he was making the right choices. He wasn't strong enough to help Casey. Um, he lost his direction. He's been sinning. And then he meets Marcus again. And Marcus has refound his faith. His conviction to God is stronger than ever. His ability to save Casey is stronger than ever. And Marcus is a bit like, oh, oh, I see all these things I'm struggling with. And you suddenly just got them all back. And that's our lucky you. Because <laughs> Thomas has been aware that he's been... They've been calling him like, you know, the chosen one because he's, he's going to be the next big thing in the diocese and he's a rising star and he's amazing. And he, they keep telling him this. Mm -hmm. And then Marcus challenges that because in all honesty, compared to what Tomas has recently been doing, Marcus is the one that actually is of higher by spiritual, emotional, like strength at the moment. And Tomas is a little bit like bitter and has to, that's another thing that he has to try and get over and move past in this episode so that he can help and yeah find himself again yeah and uh, yeah uh, absolutely and when uh, he's uh, at the Rance family uh, visiting them and Angela is losing it uh, she will strike poor Tomas again asking oh yeah and how many cases did you have already tell me so poor Tomas in this episode is kicked by everyone he's also got eaten by Pazuzu yeah at the end really it was a terrible day for Tomas oh but I'm so glad we're talking about uh, Angela right now because I've got to talk about the where she's talking to mother Chris in the in the kitchen area and she has the picture and she got Gina Davis, man. Like I am just in awe of, of how powerfully she did this scene because she's reliving her own memories of, of being possessed. Right. And then she's, she's taking the picture and she's wiping it and she's going, all I want to do is tell her, tell my daughter that she is good and that she is clean. And, and as she's doing this and she's shaking, it, 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 oh, I can't even. It was, it was, it was so heartbreaking. So all that anger when she when she bites at Tomas and and she does. I'm like, is that that's? I get it. Like you, you can. You're very uh, well disciplined. Is that's all that's coming out of you? Is just something of your mouth, like and not physically hurting somebody at this point because you feel so you know without your daughter, your baby, and yeah. Absolutely. And we finally find out the the core of her problem with uh, Chris, that she never told yes. Angela that she was clean, the cleanness, because after the rape, that possession was, she needed to feel clean again. And her mother never told her she was clean and beautiful. She never told Reagan that it wasn't her fault that's the core of the problem and she promises to herself that she will never make the same mistake with Casey so it, the, the power yeah. of of Angela cleaning the the picture is uh, is really heartbreaking because you can see the struggle 
of a rape victim trying to make sure that her daughter would never feel like she did, like she still feel, she still feels dirty. That's absolutely so, so true. So agree with that. The, so while I was watching this, this whole idea of cleanliness versus dirt and filth, it just this recurring, this recurring theme, this motif we've seen since episode one, you know, is always detritus, all the dirt, you know, all the things, it just keeps happening. So, and then we hear it again in the, in the prayer that Mother Bernadette here teaches to Marcus, where you are pure, you are clean, you are loved. My question is, you know how in, when they're doing the exorcism, they're saying you're pure. We keep hearing that you are clean, you are pure. Are they talking to the demon or are they talking to the host? I'm um, to the human soul. Are they talking to both? Like, it, it's such like an open statement. I mean, I have my own ideas, but because obviously they're not based on the same like belief systems as you guys, I always feel that they're talking to the actual soul of the person. So as the soul becomes dirty, it becomes muddied, and the dirtier the soul, the easier a demon can feed off it, take it, destroy it. But if it stays pure and clean it's just too bright for an evil entity to be able to touch so if the soul is beautiful and bright and fresh and clean a demon can't reside in a body with such a clean soul because the thing is is like anyone who's ever been victimized and stuff they always equate it to feeling dirty and used so it's reassuring the person who's possessed that it's not their fault that this is happening to them it's yeah. they don't feel the guilt right. don't feel dirty don't feel like your worth is less because the minute you start feeling you're dirty and worthless and feeling that that victimization and that blame and then you know you blame yourself for being a victim then these evil things can crawl inside and totally steal it all from you and that's i agree with that and that's why originally when i was watching i was like okay they're talking to the human part yeah. but the very fact that they're using the two words at the beginning fallen angel like you know the writers don't do anything on accident that makes me question and say but maybe they're also trying to appeal to the demon side as well what's going on there i think what's really happening is that uh the cleanness is referred to the soul the soul is still clean the soul is still untouched but at the same time why uh, an angel becomes a demon because he doesn't feel loved by god anymore but it's not god who stopped to love the fallen angel is the fallen angel who stopped to believe in his love so uh, to remind him the demon that he is still loved even if he fall it's a way to to try to to have the demon to lose his grief over the soul because what push a fallen angel to possess a body is rage so you have to try to soothe mm -hmm that rage you have to try to make him understand that even if he fell god still loves him because god doesn't simply stop to love someone just because this someone stopped to believe in his love well does this mean that if we can if there is there still a good inside every demon so does even pazuzu have a little good side that yeah. that can eventually be appealed to and maybe later episodes those demons can become like uh 
redeemed and and i don't know y'all are looking at me like they're crazy zuzu's gonna get redeemed anytime soon no no Um, no indeed (laughs) right right but i don't know i always think that maybe there's a possibility that they are trying to remind the demons of what they were before they fell and maybe there's a little bit of that going on it's like if they can remind them that they were once good souls before they got twisted maybe it will just open them up to that little moment of hope that little step in faith salvation only come to you when you ask for it a fallen demon would never ask for salvation because his path is another one now his path is already signed it's not like you can betray god and then go back and then betray him again and then go back god forgives you but god's forgiveness is uh, for humanity actually in truth uh, uh, the the concept is a lot more complicated than simply that because uh, we know that god knows everything so he knows who would have betrayed him he knows everything so he knows perfectly perfectly well which one of his sons and daughters would have betrayed him of course he is not going to give them a second chance because they should have been known, they should have known better they are not human human are fallible human are, humans are full of faults angels aren't supposed to be so once they adopt god's power and greatness they were done yeah uh the the idea that god knows all is such a strange paradox because if he knows all and he knows who's going to betray him he knows who's going to sin and he knows who's going to be damned what's the purpose of even trying like from the human side of it like what what is salvation is salvation are we saved by what is it good works that's a big um I think it's a, a Protestant kind of idea that we're saved by whether it's good works or you already have God's grace in you. Uh, can you work to be redeemed or since you're already chosen from the very beginning, from your birth, whether you're going to be saved or not, what's the purpose of trying? So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's the huge difference between uh, Catholic and Protestants. For us... Uh, everyone can be saved for the Protestants only the ones God already decided to save can be saved so uh, the huge difference is uh, uh, I don't know the English words so uh, forgive me I will speak Italian for a moment is uh, um, libero arbitrio that's free will and servo arbitrio servo arbitrio is uh, uh, god already decided for you you don't know it but god already did so you can be the best man on earth but if god didn't already decide to save you you are gone you are you are condemned free will is uh, you are free to do what you think is best for you but always remember in the end, you will have to answer to God. At some point, for us, yes, what you do will count when you will have to answer to God. 
Exactly. And I think it also has to do with like where your heart is at too, because for instance, like with Marcus and Mother Bernadette, their hearts are in the right place. They're they're trying to both decide what to do with Casey's situation. And just because their actions and their choices to whatever they want to do is different from each other, would they in the eyes of God still be considered doing good because Mother Bernadette wants to hurt her, but wants to do this for the greater good. Marcus wants to save her you know, regardless of what happens to other people. And he knows in his heart that it's good to save, try as best as you can to save an exercised, uh, a person that needs an exorcism. So is it, does it come down to where your heart is at and your intentions, you know, and then of course you start thinking, well, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So regardless of our intentions, you know, what, what can we do if we don't really know what is the right action to do? Is it just a matter of listening to what your gut says? Where I don't know. I think it's more uh, listening to your heart because uh, it's God who should lead your way. So if you listen to your heart, probably you are listening to God himself. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a big question. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, indeed. How is that we always end up with this very complicated question? Stina, why are you doing this to us? Why? Because because these characters are complicated. Marcus is complicated. Like, (laughs) Tomas is complicated. They don't make them simple little characters. Yeah, but does it really mean that even this podcast must be complicated? Really? Tina, come on. Oh, it's, all, come on. <laughs> it's absolutely complicated. Even the technology side of it apparently doesn't even want to work oh, God, for us yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Nothing is ever simple in the world of The Exorcist, no. not even in The Exorcist fan podcast. True. <laughs> Very oh, true. Geez. Very true. <laughs> Let's so, <laughs> I mean, I just want to say that all the scenes between like Marcus, Bernadette, and Casey are just filmed so beautifully. And yeah. so touchingly, Daniels is amazing in them. You see such a range of various like emotions and thoughts, sometimes just in his expressions, like the way they use kind of that haunting chorus of singing over some of the scenes to try and like yes, really like yes, it yes. kind of chills you and stuff. The way that when there's that scene when you want when you go in and you can just see that all the nuns and the sisters all their energy is being drained doing this, and yet Marcus is there still just so like so hard at work and concentrating so much to make sure that he can get this done and his faith and his power isn't wavering and he's got so much determination and strength he's desperate to save this young girl and it's just it's, they're very really beautiful to watch yeah so let's talk about the the pazuzu showing his power scene we haven't dedicated too much time to this but i think we should because it is such a cool image from the cinematography side of it where you have Casey right in the middle of the room meanwhile it's the it's it's the first time this episode where you see his power like against the the drawers are opening and closing the um the portraits are shaking in the background they've got the wind going and the papers rustling and in the middle of this tornado this storm uh you've got the three of them and mother that De- so there's Tomas and uh, Father Marcus and Casey and Mother Bernadette there as kind of the calm, the eye, the center. I think it's a beautiful image that ties in well to Pazuzu's background as well. I was going to say this for the writer's room, but Pazuzu, did you know that he was in the Mesopotamian ancient like lore? That's where the image, the demon kind of lore comes from, that he is the demon of storms and drought? Yeah. 
if you look up his mythology and stuff, yeah. I didn't know that. Explains, <laughs> ah, it probably explains why there's a lot of, like, when it got really, really bad was in the episode of All the Pathetic Fallacy in the Rain is when he got his most yeah. power. And that's why a lot of things, all that wind and stuff swirls around him. Yeah, I thought they were just trying to, like, make it look epic, you know, ooh, storms and lightning. But it actually is tied into the the history and the iconic iconography of yeah. of Pazuzu's character himself. That's that's freaking genius. Yes. Yeah, that was they make good choices. Yeah. But yeah, but it's it's also sad because obviously they have that line about Casey like rotting away and you can see her body is just totally just yeah. literally decomposing in front of them. And you're like, oh my goodness, this poor girl. Again, another thing that I'd love to know how the makeup and effects were done for this stuff. I would love to know right. what they, they're using because it's all over it in her mouth and it's just literally she's decomposing right in front of us, being yeah. broken down. And uh, I'd like for to jump to another scene. Uh, yeah. Tomas, 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 the, our pup. Uh, is, uh, <laughs> yeah. for, for, the, for the whole episode, we know he's going to do something stupid. We know it. We know, we know he wants to do the right thing. He knows he's uh, uh, split between uh, his many roles, the priest, the man, the, the exorcist. Marcus told you at the beginning of the episode that this is not normal possession. This is a grudge that the demon hold for more than 40 years. Mm -hmm. What? Let's guess what he is going to do. He brings Angela to Pazuzu. He finally brings him the one he really wants. Okay, at that point, you can see in Marcus's eyes the question, why him? Why did you send him? <laughs> Could you have sent anyone else was he really the only one available to you really <laughs> but thomas needed to make that decision he had to bring angela to him not only because it's the continuation of the story it brings it full circle but you know for just a story writing perspective but he needed to do it because there always has to have house oh, i'm sorry there always has to be a sacrifice in these kinds of stories there needs yeah, to be a, sacrifice, a sacrificial lamb that is brought to the table to say, hey, the way that we defeat this demon is through giving of ourselves somehow. And you know that Angela is already in that state of mind of I will do anything for my baby. So Thomas is much like, you know, the, the, you could even say the Judas character, you know, he made a bad choice in giving Jesus up. He made a bad choice in, in bringing Angela closer to what the demon wanted, but it is necessary for the redemption to happen later. I think we can, we can point out just uh, one little thing related to the scene in the boiling room with Bennett. Yeah. Uh, we see mm -hmm. the third way to exorcise people we saw marcus way mother's bernadette's way and now we see bennett's way uh he is ready to kill the host but for a very simple reason he wants to destroy the demon he doesn't care for the host but why he doesn't care for the host because that host willingly choose to be possessed so mm -hmm. we see what happens when 
two exorcists deal in different ways with innocent victims of the possession. And then we see Bennett dealing in a very different way with someone who agreed to the possession, who wanted to be possessed. So oh, yeah. I, you know, I never thought about the whole, if you're choosing and you want this to be a part of you, uh, versus someone who's it's taken over like Casey's situation where she didn't want this and she's tricked into it. That also makes for great story writing potential for when we have our 12 eventual seasons, because how do you, you know, address those individual characters? I can, it's already like a cool comic book scene where you've got all these people that have chosen like, uh, Maria's type of people who want to have that inside of them and how they come to odds against exorcists and people on the side of good. And then I can see them all just like having this big, bad fight sequence that's going to be like die you terrible people that chose this like <laughs> it makes me really excited to think that that's that's where we could eventually go instead of just being like no care for the host care for the host because i feel sometimes that's yeah. exhausting it's like but i just want to like do some karate kicks <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> that's what <laughs> some martial arts like some hand to hand <laughs> but the, the scene of utmost importance is marcus wrapped in a blanket Oh yeah, that's that, important. True. That's true. That's true. That's true. Oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. Absolutely. This is this every- is a critical deep scene that we need to discuss together. <laughs> so yeah. yes, yeah, yes. Marcus, Marcus is just he's tired and he's worn out and he needs his blanket and it's just that enveloping himself in something you know comforting because he's getting a little bit lost of whether or not he should choose the like the route of Belladonna. And he's praying to God. And you also, you see that tattoo on his wrist, which I was meant to look up the meaning of and didn't. But it's when you see it, it's a, it's a circle with a smaller, with a black dot in the middle, or a smaller circle. I drew it. Oh, the, the gun barrel tattoo. It's a gun barrel tattoo. The one yeah. that's like right underneath his bracelet? Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's just, it's a circle with a circle inside it. It's a gun so barrel. I, I don't that's, know what it means. I only, I only know that because of, I think Twitter, and then somebody posted on Tumblr. And yes, they were actually... I remember someone saying, talk talk about the thing. And I was like, oh, I don't remember the tattoo. And then it popped up. I'm like, that's the tattoo. That's the tattoo. I don't yeah. know why it's yeah. important, but he definitely has a tattoo. So I don't know what it means so... that he's got a gun barrel tattoo. So, okay. So there's a lot of fan theories out there, but the, the sense I've gotten from Twitter and the general kind of acceptance is that it, it definitely is, it definitely is a gun barrel and it is supposed to signify how Marcus is the uh, gun of the church, the smoking gun of the church. Now there's right. also some fanfic around it. I don't know if anybody's read it out there, if y'all have read it, but uh, about how he got it and when he decided to get that as a child. Um, one of his, I think the idea is, is that it was during his first, like one of his first exorcisms that he put that on himself as a reminder of who he is in relation to the church. So yeah, it's a, it's a very important tattoo and I love that tattoo. And actually somebody in the fandom has that tattoo. They got it for the show. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That, yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh. But yeah, but I just, I just felt that that scene is, is a, it's just a nice quiet moment with Marcus. And B, I just wanted to get inside the blanket with him. So I was like, I will comfort you and bring you warmth. You know, I'm, I'm a nice outside girl. There's plenty. I'm, I'm nice and comfortable. You know? 
<laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm yeah. glad we're talking about this again. We need to talk about Marcus's uh, fashion and his blanket choices more. Yeah. <laughs> We'd have a whole episode yeah, like, dedicated the, to that. It's one of the few things that, like, you're still attracted to me and you've put an entire blanket on you. So I've oogled you with just a vest <laughs> and your arms. And now I'm going, oh, look at you wear an entire blanket. Oh, I would still <laughs> lick that. Like, you know, and it's just like... <laughs> But he just, he needs some comfort. He needs a blankie. Everybody's just like. <laughs> Marcus could wrap himself in like 12 scarves and have a huge down jacket and big puffy down pants and giant boots. And I could barely see his eyes. And I'd probably look at him and still be like, yeah, very attractive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, and yeah that's like being sure. emotional and like, yeah, so much depth <laughs> to yeah, his choices of blanket wearing. There we go. That was my important scene. And this is also the episode that I noticed just how much Angela drinks. I've been clocking it as it goes on. because She's always got a drink in hand. But by this point, it's safe to say, I think she's a functioning alcoholic by this point. Because there's always... Oh, yeah. From the rewatch, I started noticing it early on. But there is barely a scene that goes by that she doesn't have a glass of alcohol in hand. She's forever pouring wow. wine, pouring, I'm assuming it's whiskey or something when it's yeah but it's always there and she's the only character that's continuously got alcohol nearby and you can just see how much this is like stressing her out i didn't even notice that that she's that she's self-medicating uh, that's uh that yeah. is a big part of her character and, and understandably her character would do something like this after such a traumatic event yeah other scene what is the final scene it's the final what, scene the is South. marcus and then Thomas brings Angela and yeah, and the sow. So they basically, Marcus goes to give the belladonna and then he's like, I can't do it. This is wrong. Just like, yes. it just doesn't feel right. Even though just previously he's had that scene where he gets Casey back for a moment and she's like, please kill me. Even with that, even though knowing that she's asking for death, he's like, no, I can still save you. He's so fixed and it's like how can you be that determined and it's just like he has absolute mm -hmm. faith absolute undeniable mm -hmm. faith and confirmation from god that he is going to save this girl even with her like fading mm -hmm. and her pulse going and disappearing and you really think that they're going to lose casey and then all the life just rushes back into the host as thomas opens the door angela walks in and that glee on Pazuzu's face, he gets up and he's just like, yeah, it's the yeah. sow. And it's just like, oh, you horrible creature. Yes, absolutely. Because at that point, he has exactly what he wanted since the beginning. The one who got away from him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, no, he I, I loved it. I, I had chills. He really is oh, the villain yeah. you cannot love. You can only hate him. You have no sympathy for him. You have not comprehension. You can only hate him. You are waiting mm -hmm. for the moment someone will kick his ass and he will be destroyed. Yes. <laughs> I am waiting for. I was wait, like, I was already writing fanfic about it. Like, by, when I first met Pazuzu, I was, I was like, how is Marcus gonna like kick his butt? How is Thomas gonna come in and like hold him down figuratively in his mind? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> I was so excited to see his demise. Like, <laughs> great villain. 
At this point, we're going to go right into our writer's room, bring out your pens and pencils and your notepad, because this is going to get deep. (laughs) (laughs) Zoe. (laughs) That was weird. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Zoe, why don't you start us off? You had some great points. Yeah, see, I, I loved Bennett in this episode because I've, I've termed him like Stealth Bennett and I loved Stealth Bennett and I love the fact that the scenes <laughs> had like a slightly more like green tinge to them so it was like a different colouring from everything else and I wasn't expecting to see him like being so like stealthy and then like actually being able to kick ass as well but what I found really interesting about the whole <laughs> boiler scene is it started reminding me of like survival horror games and I think like and the color palette from survival horror games, it was very much like you go around the corner. What's it going to be fake out like scare? Oh, my goodness. I found bodies. Oh, no, there's a monster standing right behind me. Turn around. It's not there. Ah! <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> so... you think of like like Silent Hill, Silent Hill with triangle head. Yeah, basically, yeah. So things like Silent Hill and Outlast and the the most recent Resident Evil. And then I started thinking about where all these, what influenced all these films. And I realised that boiler scene really reminded me of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was another horror film made in the 70s and was the other really big controversial band certain places like The Exorcist was. It was another one of those ones that is considered a cult classic. But the reason it reminded me so much is it goes from like the isolation of being indoors, that unknown thing chasing you, finding a sea of hideous bodies and going, I am not in a good place anymore. Like I've clearly walked into (laughs) bad times and it's kind of that sink and swim. Am I going to run away screaming from the monster or am I going to try and fight back? So I was watching it, I was seeing Survivor Horror, and then I was seeing Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I was seeing Bennett going, holy moly, Bennett, just run, just run, you're not going to survive this, you're not going to survive this. <laughs> and then he's like, actually, bam, I'm now actually the final girl from um, Halloween movies and stuff. And, and it's like, <laughs> wait a minute, what do you mean you're the final girl? You're the one that turns around and goes, I'm going to fight the monster. And it's just nice little bits like that, yeah. that homages tropes in other genres of horror that aren't related to the genre mm-hmm. that the exodus comes from that's awesome <laughs> that's funny that you mentioned uh the homages to other to other kind of movies because i maybe i'm just reaching too far into this but do you remember when chris mcneil was talking to tomas about what it feels like uh to miss the last step it feels like you're falling and as so what happens is as she's talking to him and saying that uh, it feels like I missed that last step and I'm just falling. And that's what this whole experience feels like. I've missed everything. They cut away. They do silent cuts. I think that's the term for him. Silent cuts to what Tomas is going through. It's like quick scenes of him and Jessica and him. And they do about three or four really quickly. In the Exorcist movie, the original movie, don't they do like multiple silent cuts away to different scenes that um father Carras is going through too it's like while someone's yeah. talking it'll be just like scene 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 real quick like flashes almost subliminal yeah. and i don't like, know if that was a distinct homage to the exorcist movie and how their style of editing was or just if it's just tina making a weird connection that doesn't really exist well i think i mean the connection could exist because she makes a point of saying how tomas reminds her of another exorcist and obviously it's the fact that he is Caras and Marcus is Merrin. So it's like right. it's editing in ways 
to get us familiar so that we too can kind of go, oh my goodness, yes, he is like this other guy. They are very similar. It's not that they both go running. It's, it's, it's like there's lots that right. this guy is the new Karas. My other scene that I wanted to talk about is even though like it was, it's, it's when Marcus is kind of like, not Marcus, it's when Tomas goes to get the drugs and you can see where Pazuzu is bitten him is getting infected. And so, you know, that all my theories mm-hmm. about disease and contagion. And it's just like, oh, it's going, it's going, yeah. And um, I know it's not the actual wound, but it kind of moves on to the fact that the first time you ever see Tomas lose it and do something like kind of bad, like, you know, punching a dude, which is not what you're supposed to do. And it's like already right. the infection is getting inside of him. And then what's really interesting about the scene between him and Maria is the majority of that scene is filmed via the window. So you are watching it inside. So they're having that conversation in a whole little bubble that's out of time and place for everything else. They're like, they're isolated in their little like a bubble. And while he's in that bubble, he can freely admit like, like the lies and the truths. But until... It's like all just like, yeah, framed through glass and you can't, you really just want to tell him, don't do that. But he's now in a space that you can't get to with Maria. It almost looks like he's trapped too, like the glass cage and, and yeah. you know, there's a little bit of a, that feeling of claustrophobia too, just watching it. It's just very, it's interesting. I, I love the way they shot. Thank you for pointing that out. Just a little bit, a little thing uh, that is more a curiosity than uh, something that should be discussed in the writing room. Uh, It's related to the meeting scene in which uh, Father Simon from San Aquinas, still wondering why he was there, but that's another problem, uh, makes that mistake uh, between the Swiss Swiss Guard and the Vatican Gendarmerie. The Swiss Guard is... uh, uh, one of the most ancient army in a continuous duty because uh, basically the Swiss Guard are the the army of the Vatican City. Uh, So uh, they are, uh, many people think that the Swiss Guard is a ceremonial guard. No, they are a real army. They are a real army. They are the one who uh, protect the Pope. And uh, they are a real army. Mm-hmm. After the attempt murder of John Paul II, they were armed with gunfires. And uh, they are really an army. Again, they really are an army. But uh, Father Simon should have known that while they are the army and the personal guard of the Pope, uh, he should have spoken with the um, Vatican Gendarmerie because they are the actual police. When a leader, when a president organizes a travel abroad, you don't speak with the army, you speak with the police. So he should have known the difference. And that's why Bennett is, is suspicious of all of these. Because yeah. it's, it's clear, it's, it's clear that there is something wrong there. And I don't think that's a mistake made by the writers. I think the writers are trying to tell us, pay attention, 
because this man who is mm -hmm. supposed to know what he's talking about is lying. Pay attention to this. He is lying. He doesn't know how the Vatican works, but how? Why? Why he doesn't know? Because he is part of the plot against the Pope. I, or at least I this is my opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I think they I think they definitely knew what they were doing by putting in things that were clearly not part of protocol, yeah. not part of the process, and Marcus going, not Marcus Bennett going, hmm, this is not right, and I'm going to call this out. I love that about him. Then, shall we go to fun facts and Easter eggs? Yes! Yeah, yes, some fun facts. <laughs> so we have two fun facts this week. Comes straight from Jeremy Slater, the director. Um, not straight from, like, I talked to him. This is just me pouring through social media and trying to figure out fun things to talk about. So uh, somebody asked Jeremy Slater once, what, who is the most challenging character to write? And he responded, which is, I think is a cool question to ask, like of all the characters, you yeah. know, who do you think is the hardest? And I was thinking he was going to say like Marcus, because he's so complicated. He actually said that Marcus was one of his favorite to write because he can write these huge monologues for him. And <laughs> it's justified because Marcus is a monologuer. Um, he said that I find it really easy to slip into the voices of all our human characters. The demons are always a pain in the ass to write. It's so easy to slip into either bad Shakespeare or demon Hans Gruber. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I, again, as a wannabe writer myself, I can see how, like, just trying to write somebody bad, how easy it would be to just be, like, always end things with him stroking a cat. And I will I'm... take over the world. Yeah. <laughs> Be prepared. <laughs> a la Scar from The Lion King. Um, <laughs> fun fact number two is uh, he spoke a little bit on God's presence in the show. So when he was asked about Henry telling Tomas where to find Marcus... Someone was asking, okay, how, who was that talking through Tomas? Was that a vision or was that God? And I found this interesting. He says, that's one of those questions we will probably never answer. I believe it was God speaking through Henry, but there's no way to ever truly know for certain. Um, which makes me wonder, you know, the nature of God himself or herself is very, you know, we just talked about it in this podcast. We is mysterious and we don't know the will, um, we'd like to have the faith that that is God working through in that subtle, mysterious way. But who's to know? I don't know. Kind of interesting. That was all. That was all <laughs> he had this week. Very interesting. And then finally, we have the Exorcist fandom. Thank you, Exorcist congregation. Uh, you're so appreciated and you're awesome. And um, I do have a shout out to... One person in particular who I see a lot on the Facebook group, um, who does a lot for the renewal campaign. She's like, writes a lot of the letters, is telling people reminders about how to write the letters, how to do the forms, and um, remember to do hashtags. So constantly being very vocal and reminding us to be very vocal to Fox. Um, her name is Mary Powers, and her Twitter name is at MLP6060. And uh, I just think that's awesome. Like keeping the, again, keeping the movement alive, making sure that 
you know, we remember that this is a great show and to try to tell Fox that we need them to renew it. And I hope they do. Yeah. I'm so good. Yeah, yeah they renew it. Need it again. I know. I know. And if not, Hulu, you know, maybe they can pick it up. Someone uh, will save it. So that's it. Yeah. That's it for this week. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're done. Yes. So thank you everybody for listening. We're done. Woo! I'm going to have some outro music here, maybe. <laughs> I don't know.